Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. Today we have with us on the Bregman Leadership Podcast, Alan Stein Jr. He has written the book most recently, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. He's worked with a lot of coaches, he's been a coach, he's a performance coach, and he is here to talk about both this book and his experiences coaching and who is coachable and how are they coachable and what are some of the tricks that he's learned to effectively help someone both take coaching and perform from that place. So it's a it's a you know an important topic for all of us who both are coaching leaders but also all of us who are leaders and want to be coachable. Alan, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. My pleasure. I'm excited for a fun conversation. Alan, give us a sense of who you've coached and what you've achieved and I see that your book has been endorsed by Kevin Durant. So you know, you're, that, that name goes somewhere. You know, give us a sense of your background. Well, I spent 20 years as a basketball performance coach, primarily focused on the youth and high school level. And where I believe my experience and career has been uh, interesting, or at least has a different perspective, is um, I worked at two high schools here in the D.C. area, uh, one of which is where Kevin Durant graduated, and, and was able to work with 12 to 15 different players that are currently in the NBA but I got a chance to meet them and work with them when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. So I got a chance to kind of see the before picture. And then that work led to some some work with Nike and with Jordan Brand and with USA Basketball. And I got a chance to work events for players that were already in the NBA and already established, uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Steve Nash. So I got to see kind of the after picture. So I've seen the before and the after of what it takes for a player uh, to to master their craft and ascend to the highest level and, and what traits and, and rituals and disciplines they need. And, and all the while I was being mentored by some absolutely legendary coaches. So I, I really had a, a neat peek behind the curtain during the unseen hours of what it takes to be exceptional in anything. And, and I now translate that uh, over to the business world and, and teach businesses and, and executives and entrepreneurs uh, how to use those same mindsets and rituals and disciplines that elite players use so that they can master their craft. That's great. You know, a lot of times uh, from a research perspective, we look at people who are already successful and deconstruct it. So we look at uh, Kevin uh, Durant or LeBron James or any scene, you know, any leader in an organization who's really successful. And, and from a research perspective, we look and we say, what is it that they do? How do they act? How do they speak? What are they thinking? How do they feel? in a way that we can then deconstruct it and say, if you act and, and speak and, and think and feel this way, then you, know, you can be successful too. And, and there's a challenge to that, which is we're, we're looking at success and we're saying, what is it that they're doing? But we're not looking at what brought them from the place that they, when they weren't you know, acting, speaking, thinking, and feeling in a certain way to that point. And what you're saying is your experience was actually taking the 14-year-old kid who may have had some raw talent but, but lacking some other things and helping them and coaching them to harness the sort of talent that they have and combine it with really hard work. And so I think that itself is a really interesting perspective. So let's start with 
in your view, looking at the 14 or 15 year olds, what's the difference between a good athlete and a great one? We'll put the talent portion aside because certainly when we're talking about a, a sport where the, the physical and the athleticism is going to play a role, uh, certainly to be able to ascend up to the highest level and play in the NBA, you need a certain amount of the raw materials. And, and no one would argue that a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James was born with some physical tools that most of us normal human beings were not born with. But once we shelve that, uh, well, hold then on, hold on. Don't, don't shelve it so quickly because I think, okay. I think the, the, um, the issue of talent is a really important one. And I imagine that you have some kids who are, who weren't particularly obviously that talented, but were able to leverage what they had. I mean, I can think of some basketball players I know who are kind of short, right? Oh, and yeah, yet absolutely. They, they succeed, you know, so they don't have the natural talent of, you know, seven foot four. And yet they still succeed brilliantly. So I, I don't wanna I don't wanna throw out the talent piece so quickly because I wanna I wanna explore the ways in which coaching can I don't even know if this is the right language, but create talent where it doesn't necessarily exist. And I'm curious about your experience with that. I wouldn't go as far as to say coaching can create talent. What I would say is coaching is going to maximize the, the potential that one has. And when you, when you have the raw materials of say a Kevin Durant and you combine that with his passion and his love and his work ethic and him being so open to being coach, then the end result is something pretty extraordinary. Uh, and I'm with you hundred uh, percent that, that we, we don't want to give too much credit to the talent side, uh, but a perfect example would be if, if LeBron James and I followed the exact same training program and the exact same diet and we had the exact same habits and we were both equally coachable we would have still ended up with different results at the end because I wasn't born with some of those tools. And I, I don't use that as an excuse. Uh, really, the, my, my main point is that in sport, this gets magnified because the physical is so important. If we're talking about business or leadership or entrepreneurship, then the physical component is, I mean, we, that, we don't even need to discuss that because it doesn't matter if you're four foot four or seven foot four, that part's not going to matter. Talent isn't just the physical component. So of course, for entrepreneurship, the talent might be an affinity or a facility with math, or it might be, Absolutely. you know, an, a sales, like a natural talent in sales. And, and I think there is a role in that for sure. There's a role in that. And, and it's, and I think sometimes people dismiss themselves as not having the talent so they don't put the other work on it. And then other times people rely on the talent and don't put the other work into it. And I think, um, you know, my sense is both of those are really lost opportunities. Absolutely. And that's why if you take somebody like Kevin Durant, uh, I'm, so, I'm not implying that he was the only one that was born with that talent. There were hundreds of other kids probably born with many of the same gifts, but he was the only one that actualized them through the other things that I just mentioned, like being coachable, like having a passion, like mastering the basics and the fundamentals. So it really is. It's a, it's a perfect storm of all of these things. And, and I think depending on who it is or what the vocation is, they're all different proportions of how much of those things are equal. But at the end of the day, the natural born talent is not something that we had control over. So we have to focus on what we do have control over, which are these 
these other facets, which is the doing the work, uh, the being coachable, the embracing change, the living in the present moment. Those are the things that all of us need to focus on controlling the controllables so that we can be the best that we're capable of. And for some people, that'll be good enough to play in the NBA and some people that won't be. But at least you know that you're the best that you're capable of. What makes someone coachable? It starts with humility. It starts with acknowledging that someone else uh, has the expertise and the experience and the acumen to teach you something that you don't know. And uh, no matter who you are and no matter how successful you are, you have to to maintain that humility. And, and it's always interesting because the highest performers in any area of life – they have an incredibly strong confidence and they have strong self-belief that they've earned through demonstrated performance, but they don't allow that to cross over into arrogance, into narcissism. You know, confidence mixed with humility is the recipe for being coachable. Uh, and that's, that's that fine line that we need to make sure that we don't cross over. I love that. But being open is, is absolutely vital. Right. So I love that combination of confidence and humility. And that's, that's, you know, I talk about that a lot also. Can you coach someone to become coachable? I do believe you can. So what do you do? What do you do to the, to the, to the person who has so much humility and they lack the confidence or, and vice versa, they have a ton of confidence and they don't, they don't have the humility. The first one. So if they, you're saying they've got the talent, but they don't have the humility. I want to make sure I get yeah, both so of them right. Yeah, so let's just do both of them. High humility, yes. low confidence, and, low, and, and high confidence, low humility. So let's just start with they've got a lot of humility and no confidence. So they, they're just sheepish. They um, don't take risks. They don't push themselves to perform in the clutch moments. They um, look around at other people, and they just think that they don't really have it. Well, the first step to being a good coach in anything is having a high emotional IQ and, and having a high emotional fitness and integrity where you'd be able to find what buttons exactly need to be pushed with that player. Uh, what's truly going to motivate them to get them over that hump? Give us an um, example. So, well, confidence only comes from one thing. It comes from demonstrated performance. It comes from the ability to actually do it. So in this case, as the coach, you'd want to put uh, uh, the person you're coaching in a position to see progress and to feel success. So you're going to give them things that they're going to be able to be successful at, and you're going to use that to condition them over time because that which gets praised gets repeated. And it's almost as if you're saying, you know, see, Peter, I told you you could do this. See, look at you. You just did it. Hey, you didn't think you could do it and you just did it really well. So that would be a way to slowly over time increase uh, one's confidence is putting them in a position through that they can have the demonstrated performance to actually show that they're capable of it. And if you do that over time and they don't seem to grow in their confidence, is that a suggestion that they may not be coachable around it? Yeah. I mean, I, I had never looked at it through that lens. I, I guess that's, that's certainly a possibility, but I mean, if, if you're putting it in front of them and they're actually feeling, I mean, a visceral feeling of having the confidence of making that improvement and, and having the demonstrated performance, they're, they're going to be open to it because, and, or you might just have to lower the challenge, right? You might have to lower the challenge. Absolutely. Okay. How about high confidence and low humility? Uh, then that's where you would take more of the approach of the opposite, which is I'm going to give you some things that I know you're going to get stuck on. I'm going to give you some things that you're probably not ready for and can't do yet to quote unquote kind of put you in your place. So if, if you're lacking the humility and you think you've already arrived, then I'm going to, with grace and compassion, this is not a tug of war, but I'm going to give you some tasks that you're probably not ready for uh, to hopefully uh, add that humility, almost take you down a peg and say, see, 
you still have have ways to learn. And and the other thing I, I've noticed that the highest performers in anything, they still have coaches. They all have coaches. I mean, you you name any high performer right now in sport or or an executive or in, in business, and I guarantee you they have coaches. So the other thing to remember is it's not that you need to be coachable until you've arrived and then all of a sudden you're on your own. I mean, uh, I, I remember reading stories. I mean, this was a while ago, back when Tiger Woods was really in his heyday and he was arguably the most dominant athlete in the world when, when he was really, you know, banging on all cylinders and he still had a coach. He still had someone that was, you know, dissecting his swing via film after every event because he still knew that he needed to level up. Tom Brady has a coach. Uh, Beyonce has a coach and a choreographer. Uh, everyone has a coach. So that's the other thing that, especially when you're dealing with with younger people, is to be able to say, look, you need to be open to coaching for the rest of your life. This is not a one and done thing. This is going to be a lifelong journey because you'll always be a work in progress. You talked recent, just now about being present in the moment, and I'm kind of curious about that because – a lot of successful people would say they actually have to be really focused on the future. And I'm curious how you put those two together. I find in today's world that we get easily distracted by the past. We're often looking in the rearview mirror about things that happened and we're either still high on things that happened really, really well, or we're really, really low and dejected on things that didn't happen well. And then we also get uh, anxious and worried about what's coming in the future, uh, where the key is actually to be in the present moment. Now, you need to be prepared for the future uh, and you need to be able to have, you know, be able to look through that front windshield and see what else is going to be coming. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to focus on the present moment because ultimately that's all we have. I mean, time is the most precious resource we have. And one of the reasons why is because tomorrow's not guaranteed. You know, tomorrow's not promised. So while we want to make sure we are prepared for the future, everything we want is right in front of us at this moment. And the only way you can win the moment is if you're in the moment. So if you're constantly distracted by what's going to happen tomorrow or two weeks from now or five years from now, you won't be able to perform at your best level in the present. You divide up the world in the player, coach, and team, and there's characteristics of each of them. Could you just share with us briefly... You know, what are those characteristics when you're looking at the characteristics for success of a player, for example, versus a coach versus the team? Uh, uh, share those with us. And one thing to realize, too, and, and I broke that up you know, very intentionally, is that throughout our lives, we're constantly ebbing and flowing through all of those three, uh, those three different sections. That you, know, you may be uh, an employee at work where you would be more of the player role, but then you go home and you're a parent and you're technically the coach of your family. And if we're going to use that terminology, and even if you're a solopreneur, I mean, I'm a professional speaker, so that my business is just me, but I have a team of three or four people in, in, you know, uh, in different roles that help me do what I do. So even though most of my business is rather singular, I'm still a part of a team. And those people are incredibly influential in my ability to do what I do. So I, I do want to make sure that folks realize that, that don't confine yourself to thinking you only belong in one of those sections. Uh, throughout your life and throughout your career, you'll ebb and, throw, ebb and flow through all of them. So we should think of them as roles, not as identities. Yes, I love that. Brilliantly put. Very insightful. Yes. Okay. So, so let's talk about the role of player. You're the actor. You're the leader. Yes. Self-awareness is the first chapter of the book for a reason because it's the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. And uh, self-awareness is key 
to being a great teammate. It's key to being a great leader, but it's absolutely crucial to you being able to perform at your highest level. And, and, and self-awareness is a fascinating one because I find it, it's kind of similar to driving. You know, nobody admits that they're a bad driver, but clearly there's a lot of bad drivers out there. And I've never met anyone that looked me in the eye and said, I'm not self-aware. Everybody thinks they're self-aware, uh, but, but clearly a lot of people aren't uh, as aware as they need to be. And, and the reason I bring that up is, as counterintuitive as it may sound, the most effective way to heighten your own self-awareness is by asking the people closest to you, the, the people in your inner circle, uh, your close family and friends and colleagues and mentors, uh, because they'll be able to see the blind spots that you can't see. Uh, and going back to humility is acknowledging, like I have to acknowledge that I have blind spots and I know for a fact that I do, but I can't see them. That's why they're blind spots and that's why I need help and that's why I need coaching for me to be able to see them. So if I want to increase my self-awareness and I ask a whole bunch of people for my blind spots, they're also answering with their blind spots, right? Of so course. They're, they're sharing their feedback through a lens. And, and how do you help someone, how do you help a player accept the feedback, recognizing that it's not unvarnished, that, that there's a lot of complexity? And if someone asks you, how am I doing, and you respond – that there's, you know, that you're not an objective observer in the situation. By definition, if you're close to the situation, which is why they're asking you, you have, a, you know, you have a horse in the race. You have, you know, like you're, you're uh, engaged in a certain way and your perspective comes from that. How do you help them around that? Yeah, again, absolutely brilliant point and you're, you're right on. Uh, there's a few things. One, what we're looking for is improved accuracy and self-awareness. Um, I'll use an example for myself. Uh, several years ago, um, I was not a very good listener, a very good active listener. Now, if you would have asked me several years ago, was I a good listener? I would have said yes and I would have believed it. Uh, but, but through doing some of these personal audits and, and through some therapy and counseling I went through through a divorce, uh, I found out that I, I was not as good of a listener as I thought. And that's where that was something I was just unaware of. Uh, now, you are 100 percent correct. Any feedback that anyone is going to give you is going to have a bias because they can only see it through their lens. And this is why you have to be incredibly protective and guarded of who it is that you're asking. And you have to make sure that you're asking certainly people that you trust. Uh, but people that you know want to see you happy, want to see you successful, want to see you performing at the, the highest level so that there's no hidden agenda. Now, whether or not their feedback is accurate or not is not as important as making sure that it's altruistic and it's done through the right reasons. And it doesn't mean that there, there is any right or wrong and there is no good or bad. Uh, this type of feedback needs to be looked at completely sterile and completely unbiased. This is not about placing judgment. But but my my point would be if I ask if I think I'm a good listener, uh, but I ask the five people that know me the best and are the closest to me, and they all say that I'm not a good listener, then I'm probably not. So it doesn't matter that I think I am. I'm probably not. And, and well, I, remember- and I think that's the that that last piece is really key because. The answer in part is like you want the subjectivity of the feedback, meaning yes. if I care about what you think and I ask you if I'm a good listener and you say no, then it doesn't matter whether I'm a good listener objectively or not. What matters is your experience of me is not. And if I care about our relationship and I care to for you know to sort of support you and for you to feel supported, it means I've got to get better at listening for you. Yes. And, 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 and really – I believe that self-awareness is having alignment between how you see yourself 
and how the world sees you. And we need those two things in harmony to truly have self-awareness. Because if you see yourself differently than everyone else does, then we've got that, that dysfunction and that disconnect. So again, it's not about the right or wrong of whether or not I'm a good listener. What you just said so perfectly is that's how they're interpreting it. And in order for this to be a fruitful relationship, clearly there's some type of disconnect and I need to be alerted to that. And, and for a lot of it, you'll see trends. I mean, if I happen to ask five people in my inner circle, if I'm a good listener and one of them says, no, you're the worst. And four of them say, yes, you're the best listener that I know of. Then clearly there's, there's something that's been fragmented between me and that one person. So, uh, this is all about being open to feedback and using feedback in a way that can move you forward and help you improve. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about good or bad. And, and that goes back to the being coachable and having the humility to welcome this type of feedback and to create a safe environment where people, uh, believe they can be open and honest with you. Passion is another one of the characteristics of success for a player. I'm curious if you can coach passion. It's the hardest one. And, and I don't know that you can necessarily coach passion because things like motivation and inspiration are rather short-lived. I mean, for, long, for it to be long-term and sustainable, the passion has to come from within. And without that passion, you're probably not going to be willing to put in the work required to be successful. And, and you know, what I tell people all the time and very thankful that I stumbled upon this at a very young age was you need to find what you're passionate about, find what you're good at, and then find where those two things actually intersect. And as we get older and, and have more experience and, and, and mature, uh, that dot will move because we'll acquire new skills and we'll develop new passions. So it's not always going to be fixed in one place, uh, but the passion is absolutely a prerequisite for you to be the best that you're capable of. Now you might have enough talent that you don't have a lot of passion and you're still better than everybody else at something, but that doesn't mean you're the best that you're capable of. So we always want to get out of playing the comparison game and look and compare yourself to what you're actually capable of. You know, there's, I, th I think if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was Reinhold Niebuhr, the, the Christian theologian who said that calling is when, where your greatest joy and the world's greatest need intersect. Oh, I love that. I never heard that. It's a little That's bit brilliant. what you're saying. It's like passion and talent. And the third piece I want to add to that is need. Yes. Like, you know, and especially when you're thinking about being on a team for your role, where can you be most useful on that team in order to be an effective team player? And it's again, where, you know, your joy or your passion and your skills and talents intersect with what's needed. Perfect. You know, yeah, for the game. So perfectly said. And same thing for business. I mean, if you're going to start a business, you can have all the passion and all the talent, but if the world doesn't need your product or your service, then it's clearly not going to be successful. So yeah, that third pillar of need is, is vital. I love that. I hadn't heard it framed that way. That's awesome. Let's uh, jump to the characteristics of a team. And you're saying these are the characteristics that each individual needs to exhibit to be effective on the team or that the team itself needs to be exhib to exhibit in order to be an effective team. It's going to be both because both. yeah, because on an individual level, they have to have those qualities and everyone will in order for the team to be able to embody those, but it's definitely going to be both. Uh, and, and that kind of piggybacks into, you know, one of the things I, I tell everyone is if you want to improve your team, the very first step is improving yourself. When I was working with basketball players and the season would end, the very first thing I would say to them is, you know, in order for us to be a better team next year, you need to come back after the summer as a better player and take that part upon yourself. And then you'll be able to integrate that into the collective whole of what we're trying to do. So yes, the answer is absolutely both. One of the characteristics of team you write is unselfishness. 
And I'm curious how you coach people to be less selfish, especially when, you know, they really want to succeed individually. I mean, we're talking about teams, but really when you talk about success stories, you're talking about, you know, individuals, you're talking about Durant and Bryant and like you're, you know, you're talking about individuals, you're not talking about teams. So how do you, how do you coach people to be less self-focused and less selfish? It's definitely a challenge. I believe we're all hardwired in our DNA to be selfish. I mean, I'm the father of three young children. And, and I remember, I mean, before they could, you know, their first words were no and gimme. And it's, it's, it's very internally focused when you're really little, you, you think the whole world revolves around you. Uh, so I do believe that those seeds have been planted early. Uh, so we don't always have to remind people to look out for themselves. We have to remind them to look out for their teammates and for the organization as a whole. Uh, and we can do that a few different ways. Uh, one, as I mentioned, is we need to make sure that we praise when folks are showing acts of unselfishness, uh, when someone does put a teammate first or fill somebody else's bucket or does something that acts in the betterment of the group, not necessarily to their own betterment, we need to acknowledge it and we need to praise it because that which gets praised gets repeated. But the other part is we can use that selfishness to our advantage. Uh, I don't, I don't mind having players or, or folks on the team that have those selfish tendencies. What we need to do though, is make sure that they're in alignment with the vision and the goal and the standards of the organization. So a perfect example would be, um, when I was working at DeMatha and it's elite level high school. And most of those kids had the selfish goal that they wanted to play division one college basketball, that playing college basketball was incredibly important to them. Well, that's great. Now, we can use that internal drive within the, the, the programming of what we do, and it'll, all, it'll be to our benefit because you wanting to be a college basketball player, if done through what we're trying to create here in our culture and our standards, is actually going to be a great driver. So having those selfish goals, as long as they're in alignment and not to the detriment of what we're trying to accomplish as a team, then those things are, are absolutely uh, a positive. So we're not trying to rid them completely of these internal drivers. We're just trying to make sure they're in alignment with where the rest of the team is going. I love that. That feels really important. So just to wrap up, give us a story. Tell us about someone who wasn't great to begin with, someone who maybe didn't have all of these characteristics, but then through your coaching, you're able to develop them. Like, so I, I kind of want to see like a before and an after, like what happens? How do you take someone maybe with raw talent, but who, you know, lacks some of the, the, either the discipline or the coachability or the confidence or the unselfishness to be successful. And, and it's a, it's a success story where they, you know, they're able to, uh, you, you were able to coach them. They were coachable in a way in which they shifted. Would love to end with that uh, story. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that, that answers that, but this is not through my own coaching. This was through an observation, but it, it left such an impact on me. Um, and it's, I had a chance to work, uh, the, in 2007, a Kobe Bryant skills Academy. And, and they, they made this skills Academy, uh, for Kobe, who was the best player in the world at the time, uh, to be able to teach and instruct uh, the best high school and college players from around the country. Well, one of the college counselors was Stephen Curry. Uh, but before everyone gets too excited, uh, in 2007, that was after Stefan's freshman year at Davidson. He was still unknown. This was before he blew up on the scene, uh, before anybody knew who he was. In fact, he was so unknown at this camp that the coaches referred to him as Dell's son because his dad played in the NBA for a dozen years. And yeah, that's Dell's son over there. Uh, and, and what he lacked in resume 
and what he lacked in physical stature. I mean, I promise you, Peter, he looked like he was 14 years old. Uh, he more than made up for it in a couple of different ways. Uh, one, he was always the first player off the bus, laced up, and going through a pre-practice shooting routine. Now, there was nothing magical about it, but it was very standard and it was consistent and it was what he needed to do to make sure he was prepared to play at the highest level. So we would get to the gym an hour early and 59 minutes before the workout, he's going through taking game shots from game spots at game speed. So by the time the workout started, he'd already made a couple hundred shots and was already in a full sweat. Well, most of the other players took more of a casual approach. But what really blew my mind at the end of the very first workout, uh, Steph and I had never formally met. I was just standing really close to him and was wearing a shirt that said staff on the back. And he said, excuse me, will you rebound for me? Because I don't leave the gym until I swish five free throws in a row. Swish five free throws in a row. Uh, I don't know if, if all of your listeners have ever shot a basketball before, but if you haven't, let me tell you. That is an incredibly high standard. A swish by definition is the perfect shot. It doesn't touch the rim. It doesn't touch the backboard. It gets its name from the sound it makes going nothing but net. And Steph would not leave until he swished five in a row. There were times where he would swish four in a row. He'd hit a little bit of the rim on the fifth one. It would still go in. He's still five for five. He's still mathematically perfect, but that wasn't good enough to him. He would start over. Uh, and if memory serves... I don't think it ever took him longer than 12 to 15 minutes to swish five in a row. And it's my opinion that Steph will go down in history as the greatest shooter that the NBA has ever seen. And it's not by luck and it's not by accident. And it's not because his dad played in the NBA. It's because he's willing to hold himself to an unparalleled standard. And, and I believe Tony Robbins has said something to the effect of before, like if, if you want to improve your life, just raise your standards. And that's so true. You know, and our standards are not what we talk about. Our standards are what we accept. And it's so important for everyone listening right now to realize that the standards that you have today, they will determine who and where you'll be tomorrow. And, and Steph is a, a perfect example of that, that having such a high standard in the craft of shooting a basketball is what's led him to being, in my opinion, the best of all time. It's great. It means that, you know, like in the end, no matter your talent, if you're the first one in, last one out, working really hard, high standards, that, you know, that, that eventually pays off. Alan Stein Jr., his book is Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. Alan, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.